You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Life can get busy for us and we can easily find ourselves with little margin and space for recharge. We can also look at all that we have from a limited perspective, forgetting that it might be insignificant to us, but God can multiply it to be something far greater than it would be on its own. Today we look at both giving ourselves space and margin, as well as reminding ourselves who holds all that we have. So even though it doesn't feel like November is knocking at our door, it's coming. And I feel like there's a couple of different categories when it comes to Christmas music. There's the people like me who start listening to it in July, because frankly, I think there's too much good Christmas music to just wait and sequester to one month out of the year. Of course, I know that some of us, when we walk into Walgreens or CVS and it's like not even Halloween and we see Christmas decorations, we, we start getting a little anxious too. So, But I've kind of been on this quest over the years because I, I listen to a lot of Christmas music. I, I feel like Christmas music is like Christmas movies to me too where I, you know, we all probably go through that season and we're like, it's not going to be Christmas unless I watch this, you know, or unless I listen to this. And I've, over the years as I've listened uh, to Christmas music, I have come to this place where I'm like, all right, the challenge for me every year is to see if I can, if something can actually make the repertoire for me. You know, can you, can you get on my Christmas playlist? Can you um, get there and, and, and uh, make your way on there by being unique, by, by being different? Of course, I've, I've got my staples, right? Nat King Cole and other things as well. But I'm always um, really intrigued when someone introduces something new to me. And it's not just uh, renditions of it, but it's songs too. And a couple of years ago, I, I don't remember exactly when this song came on my path, but uh, a song called In the Bleak Midwinter. And of course, I've got my, my top three versions of it, Sean Colvin's version and James Taylor's version, and a band called Paul Coleman Trio as well. But it, it wasn't so much the rendition as much as it was the words of the song that really, really stood out to me. And it's the last verse of the song that, that really struck me. And these are the words, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can I give him, I give him my heart. And we think about the fact that, um, and even Sam and I are talking this week after small groups and, and just hearing some of the great discussion that's been going on uh, at small groups and, and this idea that, that sometimes um, we don't feel like our story is significant enough or we don't feel like uh, we, we have anything. Sometimes we can get to that place where we don't feel like we have anything significant to give back to God. Um, and yet, the whole point of the gospel is that we don't have to be significant in the eyes of the world because Jesus is significant enough for us. His significance is given to us. His righteousness is given to us. And so we can't pay back what we've been given. We can't earn it, but we can respond in gratitude and say, hey, I don't have much but what I do have, I give back to God. In a, in a generous spirit, are we doing that? And last week, if, if, you were, if you listened or watched online or if you were 
here uh, than you heard us talk about the fact that it's not the size of our faith that matters. It's where we put that faith. Who are we putting our faith in? The fact that our faith, as small as it might be, is put into God is significant. And in the same way, what we give may seem insignificant compared to the one that we give it to. And just like our faith can move mountains when we put it in in God alone, uh, so the things that we have that we give back to God can look incredibly uh, big and vast when we give that back to Him. The disciples learned that lesson, and I think they probably learned it multiple times over their, their walking with Jesus. And so, we're going to look at an account this morning in Matthew chapter 14 where the disciples learned that lesson and some other lessons as well. If you go back and read, and we're not going to take the time to, to read the first part of the chapter, I'll give you a little summary. If you go all the way back to Jesus' origin um, and when Mary was pregnant with him you know that there was interaction between Mary and Elizabeth Elizabeth who was the, the mother of John the Baptist and somehow they were connected we don't know for sure whether first cousins second cousins but they were related some uh, in some way and when Jesus started his earthly ministry John the Baptist was the one who baptized him John the Baptist would had his own disciples as well ones who would follow him and he told everybody that I am not the one it's Jesus the one who comes after me I'm just going to pave the way I'm going to prepare the way for the Lord who will come and so there was a deep connection, probably in ministry, uh, definitely the relative, the fact that they were relatives, there was a connection between John the Baptist and Jesus. And in the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, Herod, who was the ruler over that area, who was basically shacking up with his brother's wife, um, his brother's wife's daughter, follow that one, right, comes and says, it's my birthday. I want, and I'm going to give you whatever you want, Herod says. And what does she ask him for but the head of John the Baptist? And Herod has no choice in his mind but to, to give her what she wants. All of us who are daughters or her dads of daughters know that when a daughter asks us for something, we'll usually respond. And that's exactly what Herod did. He decided that he was literally going to give her John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the news reaches Jesus. And in verse 13, we pick up the account and it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a private, privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this the crowds followed him on foot from the towns and when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them and healed their sick <clears throat> so here Jesus gets the news about a friend and ministry colleague and relative who who's gone and what does Jesus do he withdraws privately to a solitary place and i think we Think about the fact that in the midst of life's difficulties, when, when something happens in life, do we give ourselves space like Jesus did to respond to that? 
I think often, if, if any of you are like me, we, we can just kind of numb that pain sometimes. And we can say, well, I don't like what I'm feeling, and so I'm going to try to feel something else. I'm going to do everything, and I'm just going to work really hard, and I'm going to stuff this down, and I'm going to numb the pain as much as I can. When's the last time that you had alone time to think and reflect on the things that life has thrown your way? You know, how many times do we have something happen in life? You know, it's a phone call or some kind of relationship thing or something at work or in family. And we hear it. And what's our first response? Do we say, hey, I need to take time to really process this? And Jesus understood that. Jesus got the news and he said, you know what? I need to be by myself. I need to separate. I need to be solitary. I need to be quiet. You see, God has given us, within the creative order of things, a space to do that. By creating Sabbath, by doing everything that God needed to do in the first six days of creation, and then saying about the seventh day, this day is for rest, this day is for recharge, He models that for us. And in Exodus 20, verses 9 and 10, not only did God create that, or put that in the creative order of things, but also within the Ten Commandments, God said, hey, this is important enough that I'm going to give you a command about it. In Exodus 20, verses 9 and 10, it says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. You see, God made Sabbath for us because we need it. We need to make sure that we are finding that time and that space to say, hey, how do I process everything that's happening? How do I really look at it face to face and say, okay, God, how am I recharging from this as well? And Jesus did that. Do we take time for the moments in our lives that require us to recharge? And are we willing to step away to find solitude and to give ourselves over to our own recovery? I've realized over the last few years especially that um, you know, sometimes we think to ourselves when we don't take that time, we think a couple of things. One of the things might be that, oh, well, I'm just that important that I can't step away from this because if I'm not there, then what, what are people going to do without me? Um, but how are we also letting other people live into who God's created them to be and realize what it's like if we step away? I'm not great at this all the time, but I feel like I'm getting better. And one of the things I was just saying to somebody last night that, that I have found about myself is that when I don't give myself that space, I am not a fun person to be around. I, I get snippy. I get snarky. I make ruder comments than I do normally. Um, and, and people can realize, it. my family first and foremost, that, you know, they can, it's like a radar on them. They can always kind of figure out, like, what's going on? Where's that button that I need to press on daddy? Like, if I don't give myself space to make sure that I'm recharging, that I'm resting, that I'm finding Sabbath, then I won't be good for other people as well. And Jesus understood that. He, he took time and he stepped away and he said, hey, 
there's some big things happening in life. I've got to take time and step away. Be by myself and, and do that. Some of us might be okay at doing that and saying, yeah, I'm really good at finding that time. And some of us might be so good at that that we never want to come back, right? We're like, okay, I'm going to take time and I'm going to spend my time alone with God and I'm going to spend time recharging. Do I really have to go hang out with people again? Because, man, I'm so much better by myself. Like, 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 I don't need to interact with other. But you see, we see Jesus come out of that solitary space. Yeah, he, he made sure that he crafted time and found a place where he could do that. But he also came out of it. He didn't stay there indefinitely. And I think because Jesus took the time to find that space and then come out of it, he did what he did right out of that. Look at verse 14. He landed and saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And I wonder if Jesus would have had that compassion and would have healed their sick had he not taken that time to say, hey, you know what? I need some solitary space right now. I need to step away and make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. If we don't take time to fill ourselves up, we'll have nothing to give to others and we won't feel compassion for them. That's absolutely it. And you could say, you know what, I'm strong enough, I can do this, it's okay. And it'll work for a while, trust me, because I've done it for a while. And then I've been like, you know what, I hit a wall and I can't do it anymore and I've got nothing. If we don't make sure that we're doing as Jesus did, stepping away, letting ourselves be recharged so that we have enough energy, we have enough compassion, we have enough strength to be able to go on to the next thing. And then Jesus, the, the account continues in verse 15. It says this, As evening approached, the disciples came to Him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to Me, He said. And He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, He gave thanks. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied and broken. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, it doesn't tell us when Jesus got this news about John the Baptist what the disciples were doing. Did they take his cue? Did they say, hey, Jesus is going off by himself. Maybe we need to do the same thing. I, I don't know. All I know is that out of this, the disciples are there together with Jesus. It's getting late and they realize, uh-oh, there's a whole lot of people here. We're going to be responsible for feeding them if they don't leave now. You know, maybe you've had that happen before. Someone's come like mid-afternoon to your house and they've lingered for a little bit longer than you thought they would. And then all of a sudden it's getting close to dinner and you're like, how? It's like Maybe it's like Seinfeld. You've got that sign with your wife or husband and you're trying to give them the old sign to let them know that it's time to get these people out because if they stay any longer, we're going to be obligated to give them something to eat. Or 
Your kids' friends do that, right? And you're like, are they going to stay for dinner or not? Like, how are we going to do this? Maybe that's what the disciples were feeling. They're like, oh man, there's a whole lot of people here. How are we going to move them out of here so that we're not responsible for them? But there's two things that I think in how the disciples respond to what happens here that we can learn. You know, first one is about margin and space. Because if we aren't leaving margin for ourselves, we won't have anything for anyone else. And so I wonder if the disciples were following Jesus' lead. If they really were saying, hey, we need to make sure we're recharging. Because out of that time, they say, hey, you've you got to get these people gone. Because we don't want to have to feed them. We don't want to be responsible for them. And they say we need to send them away. And then the second thing is this. The disciples were seeing what they had in their hands and not Jesus' hands. They were looking at the five loaves. They were looking at the two fishes and they're like, this is all we've got. And they looked at the fish and they looked at the people and they looked back at the fish and loaves and back at the people and they thought to themselves, ain't no way this is happening. How are we going to do it? But they weren't looking past their own hands. All they were seeing was what was in their hands and they weren't seeing the possibilities of what that would look like in the hands of Jesus. It's not like they haven't seen. I mean, it says right here in this passage that Jesus came out of that solitary place and He had compassion on the crowds and He began to heal them. So the disciples knew that He was capable of supernatural things. They knew that Jesus was capable of doing things beyond what they were capable of, and yet they weren't seeing past their own hands. They were only seeing what things looked like in their hands. And Jesus says, bring those things here to me. And I think it's a picture of what often happens when we buck up against the gospel. That we say, well, but I've got to add something to this. I've got to do something here that will make myself worthy, that will make what I have seem more significant. And the Gospel says, no, don't try to measure up. Don't try to make yourself something that you're not because you'll never get there. Just take what you have and bring it to Jesus. That's what He's saying to us. We're not going to multiply it. We're not going to somehow make it adequate. But Jesus will. He can and He will. Think about the words for that, from that, that Christmas song. What I have, I give Him. I give Him my heart. That might not seem like a lot. We might do an inventory of ourselves and say, man, that's not a whole lot that I have to give. What am I going to do here? How do I take what I have and give it? And I think... As we look at what we have and we say, well, is this significant enough to give to Jesus? I think there's a couple of things that will keep us from giving to Jesus. The first one is fear. I think oftentimes we'll find ourselves fearful. Like We may be fearful of what other people might think or see or say. And the other thing is doubt. We just wonder, like, well, what if, what if I give this up? What's going to happen then? Past experiences can easily keep us from giving to Jesus because sometime in the past, maybe we did and we felt like 
you know, it wasn't appreciated, or maybe we felt like somebody threw shade at us because of something that we gave. What are other things? What are other things that keep us from giving to Jesus? Any thoughts? Ideas? What keeps us from really giving to Jesus? None? When we look at what we have, we need to ask God to see what it is, not through our eyes, but through His eyes. We need to see not in our hands, but in His hands, and say, can it be multiplied? You know, it's about our heart behind something. It's not necessarily the quantity of something that's there. Within the Gospels, there's a story about a widow who all she has is two small little coins. And she goes into the temple and she brings it and you, all the rich people, all the, the, even some of the, the priests and the, the religious people who should know better are looking at her and they're thinking to herself, what is with her? All she's got are those two little coins and she's going to give them to Jesus and Jesus points her out and says you know what she's more significant than all those other people because of what she's giving all she has are those two coins and she's giving it all and I wonder if we look at the same thing we don't look at the quantity of what it is that we give but we say who is it that I'm giving this to Do I trust that the same God that I give whatever I have to is the same God that multiplied five loaves and two fishes to feed well beyond 5,000 people? Because sometimes I wonder if we do. Sometimes I think we're giving saying, well, this is just going to be what it is. God, you're not going to do anything more with it. You're not going to multiply this. And I don't know why we would think that, but we get to that place where we we just doubt and we wonder, God, can you really make something more significant of what I have, of what I am? I don't feel significant, God. Can you use even me to make an impact? And we have to see beyond our hands and see what we have in the hands of God. Not because we think that we can rise above or we can somehow make something of it, but God can make something of it. Jesus will multiply what it is that we have thousands of times over. In in the middle of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes a prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 14 through 21. And I think it's a good place for us to kind of land on as we think about this idea of giving what we have to Jesus and saying, Can you make more of this? Paul writes to the church there in Ephesus 14 and says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And Paul's desire for the Ephesians and I think desire for any Christian that read that letter, God's desire for us was that we would know and, <clears throat> that, and have God's power to grasp and understand just how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love for us, and then to realize that He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think or imagine. And I imagine that some of you are good imaginers. That you have vivid imaginations that can project and imagine all kinds of great things. And when we think about the power of God to be able to blow all those imaginations out of the water, to be able to take something so insignificant as five loaves and two fish, and not only to feed people to their fill, but have leftover goodie bags for them to go home with. That's the God we serve, and I wonder if we remember that. In the midst of our day, in the midst of all the struggles that come at us, do we realize that we have that power? Not because it's ours, but because it's ours through Christ. That we're given that power. What does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine look like to us? Take some time this week to think about that. What, what can I imagine God doing if there were no limits? Because with God, there aren't. There aren't any limits. How do we live that out? How do we step out in faith to believe that it's not what we step with, but who we step with? It's not what we have. It's not all the things that we're carrying. It's who we're giving all that we're carrying to and trusting that He has the power to multiply. We don't do it alone. We need each other, and we need God, the One whom we partner with, the One that we're connected with, the One we abide with, and say, in You, I can do this, God. And so where does the Gospel meet us? It's questions for us. And first of all, how are you finding margin for yourself? You know, one of the things that I think also, not only are we not good for other people, we're not good for ourselves when we're not taking that time. It is so much easier when we're tired, when we have a, when they're experiencing a lack of rest, to actually come to that place to believe and trust in the truth of God. Because the times that we're going to be attacked the most by the enemy, I think, is the times that we're feeling worn, we're feeling beaten, and we're not recharging ourselves. And so how are we taking that time and finding margin for ourselves so that we can believe and trust in the truth of the Gospel and the truth of the power of God and also be effective for other people as well? And then, what is it that's keeping you from giving to Jesus? You know, one of the things that um, I firmly believe and one of the reasons why we exist as the branch is because I want to see other people understand who God has made them to be. I want other people to say, hey, I feel like 
All I have is five loaves and two fishes. Can you help me understand how God can multiply that and use that for his kingdom's sake? Man, I would love to have a conversation with you about it. Some of you, I I already have had conversations about that. But what is it that you can do with what God's given you, even if you feel like it's insignificant, even if you don't feel like it amounts to a whole lot? Remember, don't see it in your hands. See it in his hands. And trust that he can multiply it. You know, this this past week, I... I had an opportunity with one of our members here at the branch to see that lived out. Uh, Somebody who has been given these gifts of like working with their hands and construction and stuff. And they let me know that they're going to be over in one of the neighborhoods uh, in the area. And and I went over there into this house with um, this fairly large family living in a fairly small space and the floorboards were rotted in the bathroom, and and it had bled over into a a bedroom as well. And I just sat there kind of shocked at what I was seeing. And and here was this this mother who barely spoke any English. And uh, the reason they brought me over was because I was supposed to translate too uh, to help communication. And before they started working on this, we prayed together. And I started praying in Spanish, and then um, the mother took over in Spanish. And as she started praying, the tears just started falling out of her eyes. And they hadn't even done anything yet. (laughs) They showed me pictures later on of everything that they had done, and I was blown away. But here was this woman who was so touched because someone was taking the five loaves and two fishes that God had given them and multiplying it to make a significant impact in the life of a family who desperately needed it. Man, I love telling stories like that. And more often than not, I love telling stories when I had nothing to do with it. Because you know what? It's all about God. It's all about taking our five loaves and two fishes and saying, God, it doesn't seem like much, but can you make something out of this? Can you do something with what I have and make it significant? Not for my sake, not for the sake of anyone else or any organization, but for the sake of your kingdom and the sake of your great name. Let's be that church. Let's be significant kingdom impact in our community that we say it might not look like much, but what I have I give him. I give him my heart. And he can take it and he can multiply it and make it so much greater than we could ever make it on our own. Let me pray for us. What I have, I give you, Father. I give you my heart. I give you my all. And I ask you to do something significant with it. And Father, that's our prayer. It's that you would take something that seems minuscule, that that others might even say, like, what do you have? What is that? Father, silence those voices, I pray. And Father, may we just hear you say, here, give it to me. Give it to me. Because in our hands, something may be insignificant, but in your hands, Father, it's far beyond we could imagine far beyond what we can even think or project out. 
So Father, give us faith, give us boldness, give us strength. May we trust that whatever it is that we have, we would give it to You, and Father, You would make something more of it. So Father, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. We believe that God can take what we have and make something far more significant than we could ever make it ourselves. And as we sing this last song, we're going to pass the basket around, uh, knowing that, again, this is the 21st century. Everyone gives in different ways. Some of us give online. Um, But regardless of how we give, just consider that. You know, I, I understand fully that not all giving is financial giving. We give not only financially, but we give of ourselves, of our time and our talents as well. And so as we sing through this song, as we pass through the, bas- the basket around as well, remember uh, that God's calling us to give all that we have, as insignificant as it might seem, trusting that He will take something that seems insignificant and make it significant for his name's sake. In our hands, whatever loaves and fishes we might have seems small and insignificant, but in the hands of Jesus, they can be far greater. Do we trust that he'll take whatever it is that we have and make something more of it for his sake and his glory? Pray for the faith to trust God that he'll multiply what you have to make it far greater for his kingdom's sake. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.